Another fresh pod in the oven, Andy. What are we talking about today? We're talking a little bit about prop bets, power indexes, and did you hear about Dak Prescott? Let's break that down, but before we do, drop that brass. With that, we welcome you back once again to another episode of the One Giant Podcast. As always, I'm Adam Marbrecht, and there is my good friend, my copinera, Andy Makowitz. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. The weather is changing. Everybody's feeling a little bit better about themselves. How are we doing, Adam? We're doing good, man. Yeah, the, the, the pool is open. Because I don't have to be anywhere day to day, I could start every day with a dip. You know, that could be my routine now. You, you could be doing this podcast poolside and nobody would be the wiser. Ooh. I could be electrocuting myself in the, in the pool in no time. Um, <laughs> the, so as we come back in, there's some fun things to touch on here. There's also some interesting news and notes as I, I, I think the next thing right now, obviously, NBA, NHL are getting a lot of the traction because they're gearing up for the playoffs. MLB getting traction for all the wrong reasons as they can't figure things out football kind of waiting here as we start to open up some facilities and see if every team is going to be able to be in their own state at their own setup. Uh, Giants will obviously be a key among those as far as what things are going to look like for them. But before we do, you and I had had done a deep dive really on the, on the what if scenario around Deandre Baker and his, his legal situation without going back into those details and rehashing it. Things are, are trending in a very positive direction for him. It looks like, He'll be cleared of all of these charges, potentially. Have to wait to see how Goodell and the NFL is going to treat him. But uh, by and large, a lot of positives just from a fan perspective and then from an individual perspective, right? DeAndre Baker, 22-year-old kid, essentially. And it looks like he's going to have dodged a very, what could have been a very unfortunate situation for himself. Yeah, it's it's pretty shocking when these things come out and, and there's five witnesses and there's affidavits written. That usually uh, leaves very little wiggle room. But uh, I mean, apparently things are things are changing by the day. There's video evidence. They're they're using Xbox evidence of, of timestamps and, and all this different stuff that is pretty interesting. That does uh, favor uh, DeAndre Baker's story. And if you know his lawyer is is true to what DeAndre has been telling him that he's a changed man. This has kind of scared him straight. Then, you know, that's an exciting thing for DeAndre on a personal level, but also for giant fans on, on a team level that maybe we have a guy that's a little bit more focused uh, on his craft, which would, would be great. Yeah. And not to diminish uh, the situation that he potentially was involved in or the wrong set of circumstances, but uh, again, maybe time, like it just, he, he sounds like a kid, it, you know, he's at a party, brought his Xbox with him, just trying to game a little bit somewhere and to end up fi- you know, having this whole thing kind of unravel around you. If that's the, you know, the key almost incident that, that helps to get him refocused and maybe has him look at what is his profession, what is his career in a different way, then, then, then maybe he's all the better for it. Uh, but we won't, we won't belabor that too much because there still is the the legal process to work itself out and all that so we'll obviously keep you up to date on it too to turn things over and and get a little more lighthearted and then move into some some obviously giants football focused content uh andy what was your favorite eli manning tweet since he emerged uh into the twitter verse i just feel like this has been 
everything you could have hoped for and more. Uh, he, he, he popped on there as Peyton Manning engaged in his charity golf tournament over the weekend. And I feel like this is the, uh, uh, the the text format of, of everything that you hear behind the scenes about Eli Mann that never seems to come through in interviews or post-game press conferences, but this is all of the locker room talk that people always said, this guy's a prankster, he's a jokester, he loves to have a good time. That entire personality is just rolling out on Twitter, and it has just been a godsend. Uh, the, the, my favorite thing was not even what Eli Manning tweeted, even though he tweets his tweets have been perfect. It was Tom Brady's response to Eli Manning joining Twitter, where he's like, Typical Eli Manning just to show up in the fourth quarter and, and sign up for Twitter in the fourth, you know? And yep. I, I, th- I thought that was genius. And, and you know, Brady throughout all this stuff, you know, not to switch gears too much, has really kind of shown his personality a little bit more. He's been a very stiff by the book kind of guy under the Belichick regime. And the last like 45 days, I've heard more joking and more personality from Tom Brady than I have in 15 years. Oh yeah. Well, and listen, um, it- He's the TB12, you know, brand. He's clearly preparing himself for the, you know, the post-career landscape and what that's going to look like for him. And I, I think, as you know, nobody really, although like Gronkowski has always managed to have his personality in New England. He never had trouble being who he was in New England. I think that this is just also maybe a, a facet of Brady that he's happy to be able to do a little bit more with now that he's not the QB of the New England Patriots. And, I'll be honest though. I don't know. I don't know if, if Tom Brady's personality is the most engaging thing I've ever experienced. Well, look, I will say for any golf fans that are listening to this podcast, the match that they had over this past weekend with Tiger, Phil, Peyton, and Brady was almost an A plus. It was a home run. Everybody got excited about it. Eli was live tweeting the whole thing. You know, Justin Thomas was was uh, was walking the course as a commentator. They had Charles Barkley who was just spewing nonsense the yeah. whole entire time like it had every layer that you wanted it to it, you had tom brady shanking balls into the woods like consecutive balls into the woods which made him human and made me shake my head like yep been there before you know yeah. and the only thing that they missed out on which i don't understand how they could have missed this one is why was eli manning not walking the course with them like he's got the perfect connection to peyton manning he's got the perfect connection to tom brady and he does have that dry witty humor i feel like he would have been a nice little addition to that whole thing but oh i mean overall that that was a pretty great event that they put on well and to tie a bow on this segment i will say uh, one of the one of the tweets that eli had over that weekend was heard peyton says he wants me to be his caddy i would but i can't always carry i can't always carry the team so there's that element of and i'll say this is why i think he wasn't there because he was fun from Twitter, but if he had been on the golf course, it would have been to Peyton's detriment. Because I think all of the brother rivalry still would have there still would have been some type of confluence of just you know concern about am I rooting for you? Am I busting your chops? Am I talking in your backswing because it's kind of funny? Am I going old school uh, sports center commercial where I try to wet willy you? You know what is the scenario going to be? And I, I my favorite one by far because it combines sports and also one of my all time favorite movies. I keep playing. I don't think the heavy stuff's going to come down for quite a while. If you don't know the movie, you don't deserve to get the reference. Um, let's let's pivot here now, shall we, sir, into specific net, uh, Nets. Let's talk about the Nets for a while, if we could. The NBA isn't getting enough coverage. Uh, I've had a stroke. I'm, I'm crossing over my, my, my content. That's fine. 
Well, I think I think we were wanted to hit a little bit on uh, just some of the different uh, polls and different power indexes and some of the gambling stuff. And Adam, I'd like to start with the gambling side of things because oh. that's just me by nature. Yes, and you are. You're, you're a regular yeah. the gambler. Yeah, I am. I like to throw a a, a couple of uh, wagers down during a during a good Sunday. Um, and one of them that came out that I found that was interesting was uh, Coach of the Year. Uh, and the odds for each of them to win. And Joe Judge finished with the second to last odds to uh, to be able to win Coach of the Year. Um, not surprising when Bill Belichick was first at 12 to 1. Um, Joe Judge came in at 40 to 1. Now, there was a handful of, of other people at 40 to 1 or 50 to 1. Um, just your initial thoughts on him being one of the, the last coaches on the list. Yeah, you go through that list that I had in front of me, you know, John Gruden at 40 to 1, along with Ron Rivera there in Washington. Then you get Gase at 50 to 1. Um, some of these, I think, are more indicative of the the situation that some of these coaches are in as opposed to the coach themselves. So, for example, I think Bill O'Brien being at 50 to 1, I think it's because he's taking that franchise off the rails this offseason and there's concerns about his ability to now take a team that he dismantled for himself as a GM and try to bring it forward. And I, I don't, you know, we'll see how that shakes out for them. It's not like they've, they've completely stripped themselves bare on the other side of it though. I feel like Joe judge is very much, it's like looking at Ron Rivera at 40 to one, right? Is that indicative of Ron, Ron Rivera as a head coach or is that just talking about the team and what they have there and not knowing what's going to go going forward. Now that saying that, when I look at the Redskins and the Giants, I believe that Joe Judge, I would take the, as Andy Mackowitz would say, I might take those odds because at 40 to 1, the expectations are set fairly low for a lot of these teams. And I think that Joe Judge may be able to exceed a relatively low bar expectation for the Giants this upcoming season and could make it look like a real success story if, say, they went even 7 and 9. Could be a very, you know, benchmark. They're talking about Vegas odds at 6.2 wins for the season. So maybe 8-8. Eight and eight. All of a sudden, 8-8 eight and eight and, and Joe Judge is screaming coach of the year. Well, you nailed exactly what was surprising to me about this list. And it is it is about the situation, yes. It isn't about how good your team is. It's about whatever the expectations that are set by the media and the public and exceeding those expectations. If you do that, it's it's a complete home run. And one of the things that, that I keep looking at is, you know, Joe Judge, the expectations are relatively low. Obviously, they're not expected to win that many games. If they win five, six, or seven games, he's not going to be considered. You mentioned Bill O'Brien. And to me, yes. Is he, is he a less than stellar GM? So far, that's been proven to be the case. Uh, I just look at 50-1 to 1 for the Houston Texans. It basically says, what are the odds that the Houston Texans win the division? Because if they beat the Colts and they beat the Titans, and they beat the Jaguars, and they finish first in their division. Like, Bill O'Brien has to be having a good shot at winning Coach of the Year. So, to me, that's kind of crazy that Bill O'Brien is that low. I think there's some of these guys in the middle of the road that I just kind of think are in no man's land, like uh, like Matt Nagy in, 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 in Chicago. It's like, how well would he have to do to win Coach of the Year? They're already expecting him to win, you know, eight games, like, is he going to win 12 games and win coach of the year? He's got so much of a bigger hill to climb. If Bill O'Brien just wins the division, he could, he could be the coach of the year. So I just find it fascinating how they've, how they've pegged these. Well, you know, on the other, you mentioned uh, Bill Belichick in New England, the top of it. 
that one, I guess, obviously, they're, they're, they're paying credit to who he is as a football coach, 12 to 1 odds, because, again, drastically dropped expectations there. But a guy like the one that's interesting to me, maybe, is Mike McCarthy in Green, in, in Green Bay, in Dallas now, because I, I expectations are high for them. Like, you know, expectations are high for Dallas to do well. They've always been, they've always been a good team on paper. So why, I, I don't know. And I guess maybe getting over the hump that Jason Garrett couldn't quote unquote would maybe make him then coach of the year, but short of going to the Super Bowl, I don't see how McCarthy in Dallas would, would get a nod at, at coach of the year. So his, uh, was it 14 to one odds to him uh, for him seems really, that, that seems weird to me. It seems like a layup almost. Yeah, Adam, like th- think of it like this. So ESPN has their power index, which we'll get into in a moment. But the Cowboys' projected win total is 9.3, right? So so their expectations are already that they're going to win nine games and they're absolutely going to make the playoffs at a 69% chance, right? So what would he have to do to win coach of the year? Like that's the standard that's already sitting in front of him that everyone expects. If he wins 10 games, people are going to be like, okay, so you won 10 games. You did what you were supposed to do. Even if he wins 11 games, it's like, Okay, uh, maybe he's helping them get over the hump. I honestly think he would have to win 12 games to even be in the consideration because the expectations are that much higher. Whereas you look at Bill O'Brien at 50 to 1, it's like if he goes 9 and 7 and wins his division after he dismantled the team, like it's almost like he buried the team and then he brings it back to life and he wins coach of the year. Like he he's the worst GM in the league but the best coach like in one season, you know? Well, and I hundred percent when it comes to the, the Cowboys, I think they would have to go and 12 and four might not even be up. They have to go 13 and three, like be a real dominant force in the season and be, you know, playing for a number one seed in the playoffs and all that kind of stuff in order to get that kind of consideration. And it is limited to the regular season. So it wouldn't necessarily be beholden to that when it comes to the playoffs. I will say uh, before we do get into the, the power rankings that the O'Brien piece though, again, the 50 to one odds, I think is be, it has to be combined with, even if he won the division, I think there'd be, again, there'd be so many other candidates around this coach of the year opportunity that I think his odds are predicated on that too. That it's like, even if you went nine and seven and won the division, you'd kind of go, well, with Tennessee and the Colts, what does that division look like? And, you know, and then you'd be looking at what do some other coaches like McCarthy or like a Bilicek, he could go nine and seven with the Patriots and end up getting coach of the year honors because X, Y, Z, you know? Right. I mean, not to harp on O'Brien, yeah. I just think it's a great bet, but like he's projected the, the percentage chance for the Texans to reach the playoffs is 38%, right? Mm-hmm. 38%. So if he goes 10 and six miraculously and they win the division and he, and he, and he makes the playoffs, like you'd have to say that he exceeded expectations of yeah. what has happened. And, and that's how I think these coaches win coach of the year. It's like John Harbaugh won it. And what's interesting is, the Baltimore Ravens had the biggest jump in wins of what was projected before the year to what ended up happening. And that's just how it works. And when the bench is already set super high, like how many games would Andy Reid have to win in order for the right. chiefs to get it? Like he could go 12 and four and they'd be like, okay, you have Patrick Mahomes. That's like, what kind of coaching job is that? And he'd have to go 14 and two to be in consideration, which is, it's crazy. And it, it like you said at the top of this, and we, we can tie a bow on it with that is it, it's not indicative of how good of a coach you are. It's just, how much do you exceed the expectations that right. other people set out for your team before the season? Yeah, 100%. Like, listen, maybe I'll throw a couple bucks on Joe Judge. Why not? When when we pivot our attention to the power ranking, listen, initially, it was my, my first take when I saw that the Giants are 
20 power ranking, I was pleasantly surprised. You know, what I, mean? <laughs> like, I know that's not setting a high bar, but I was like, oh, and even just initially, like, I, I personally feel like the team can be stronger from last year to this year. I think that we can improve and, and beat some expectations. But the idea that that overall right now, maybe there's just a more positive sense, even from the offseason for this team was good. Uh, you know, 26th with some interesting things, though, because Vegas has their win total. I think it's six point two. Um, so you're expected to maybe win, you know, six games, possibly some low end opportunity to win a seventh game there. There's some weird things about other teams that are ranked worse than us that, that have higher win projection totals. What was your initial take on that on that 26th position for the Giants? I think it was relatively reasonable. I mean, we talk about the expectations again. You know, we ran through it, and I struggled to find more than five wins in, in, in you know, when we did our predictions on this. So for me, you know, the projected wins of six, yeah, they have them winning a game that maybe I have them losing. Mm. Chance to make the playoffs at 12%. I mean, it's very tough for us because we're in a division where the Eagles are expected to do well and the Cowboys are expected to do well. Um, I think the power index has them both in the top 10. Yeah. They have Dallas at five and Philadelphia at six. So when, when you're talking about two top six teams in your division, that's four games that you have to play right away against those teams. Whereas, you know, you have other teams like the Jacksonville Jaguars who may get the Titans or the Colts or the Texans uh, a couple more times than, you know, say a stronger opponent like Dallas is expected to be this year. Yeah. And what I like about it, at least just from the giant standpoint, and it is when you, we look at the division and those two teams that you mentioned, it's obviously going to be a little bit, a little bit tricky to make some headway. What I like is it's always coming into it. And, and there's been that talk around the giants and, and could this be a borderline top 10 offense potentially if, if everything goes well and the offensive line looks like it stabilized itself through the, through free agency a little bit with some backup options. And then of course the draft primarily I like the idea that, you know, if you're 26th in the power rankings, even if you make a, a, you know, a six position move over the course of the season, you know, something relatively reasonable, you can get yourself into the top two thirds of the league, which, which I would be really happy about for the Giants this upcoming year. That would be a big sign of progress. If you come out in, in any of these things are all speculation, but if you come out in your 30th, it's really hard to hang your hat on the idea that you're going to move 10 spots because it means there's so many question marks coming into the season that even if you get some surprises, even if you see some improvement across the board, you really, it just means that you can have a bright spot. It doesn't mean that the units, offensive, defense, special teams could all show marked improvement. And that's where I'll be curious to see. And, and I guess the caveat is, because they think that maybe the Giants could be, and let's just even say they can be a top 15 offense, right? If you can be a top 15 offense and you're getting positioned to 26 in the power rankings, it still probably means that there's some some glaring question marks for this defense and how they're going to gel and how the young players are going to play because you could see a big spectrum for the Giants between offense and defensive rankings, at least from an outsider's examination of, of where they think this team can be. I've looked at a few of the offensive rankings and just one that, you know, anecdotally has us in the bottom third of the league. So they don't even have us in the top 20 offensively. And, you know, of all the different places, I know that we're going to be good on special teams. I mean, that's mm -hmm. just a, a given, but uh, between the offense and defense, that's surprising to me that the giants aren't uh, higher closer to top 15. As you said, that my expectation is that the giants will be a top 15 offense this year. Now, five spots may not, five or six spots may not seem that crazy, but we just talked about the difference between 26 and 20. The difference between 20 and 14 
mm. is huge. You know, having a top half part of the offense means you can start investing in the other side of the ball to make sure you can kind of start lining yourself up. To, to me, with the additions that they made to the offensive line and some of the smaller key signings that they made, I expect the Giants to be better. I expect Saquon to be healthier. I expect mm-hmm. Daniel Jones to have more time to throw the ball. I, To me, I, I don't know. It seems weird that the Giants' offense is getting absolutely no love right now when I think they, they're going to be better than most people think. Yeah, and I, I can attribute that at least you know in part uh, to the idea that you drafted to fix the offensive line and it should be better, but you don't officially know, right? And we're going to, I don't, I don't want to give away anything. We, we've mentioned before that we're going to get into some of our uh, QB rankings versus their salary. And we're going to start to get into our lists on that. But I think about the idea of, it's like saying, do you, what do you expect from Daniel Jones in year two versus what do you expect from rookie X, right? Or, or Stenham in New England is a good example where he's not a rookie, but he wasn't starting last year. It's hard to it's hard to quantify it until you see it, right? So it's hard to give the Giants maybe more credit offensively before the season starts because you are talking about a lot of these what you know what ifs. If the offensive line is and I'm the starter, I think the big question is if someone else becomes the starting right. Maybe looked at regardless of your opinion of solar, that's going to be looked at as, as another big improvement because you've removed arguably one of the worst components of that line. So those are some of the things that I think as the first handful of weeks play out in, in the season, you'll start to see some of these projections that they do their, you know, mid their mid season projections and their first quarter season projections. That's where you'll see, I think the needle move once the proof is in the pudding. And I think that these rankings for any of these teams, not that the, not just the giants, but any of these young teams that have had maybe some turnover, everything is going to be about, yeah, I'm not going to quite hang my hat on it yet. Whereas you or I, you know, we want to dive in on all, on all the on all the little bits and all the minutiae and say, well, I, I think, man, I look at I look at you know component A and B and D and R and Z. That's five. That's five big pieces that they have to be better. I, I want to automatically start them off in the season saying, week one, the Giants open up and prove to me that they that they can be a, fi- a top fifteen offense all the way through. Yeah, I think it, it's similar to what tampa has going on where you know they they expect this team to be explosive now that tom brady's there you know Jameis winston threw for five thousand yards he led the league in 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 yards so like uh, you know you you plug him in are you going to get the same explosive offense he's a different type of 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 passer he likes the underneath passers underneath the linebacker short quick passes where Jameis like throwing it to anyone and everyone that he could throw it to it didn't matter what jersey it was as long as he could throw it 30 yards he was happy you're open you're open buddy Yep, exactly. <laughs> and, now, but now, but now, interestingly enough, on that though, it also came out recently that expectations are for Tampa Bay's defense to be a top five D, and I think that that's really where these things are combining. And by the way, we went over our schedule predictions, and I'm starting to have some some dangerous thoughts around that Tampa Bay game because you're talking about if you want to, and I think uh, Dan Dan Orlovsky uh, uh, pointed this out, where if you took Tom Brady's worst interception season it'd be less than half of what Jameis Winston did last year. I think it's like 13 or 14 is his career high for interception. So even if you just do Tom Brady's worst interception year combined with this defense and where it should be, all of a sudden, I mean, worst case scenario, you're probably talking about taking that seven and nine and reversing that record for them. And I think you start to push them towards, you know, 10 wins just because you have some stability, 11 wins just because you have stability at that quarterback position. 
They're projected 9.1 wins. So they're already saying flip flop seven yep. and nine to nine and seven. And let's see if they really start gelling, even without the turn, you know, limit, eliminate the turnovers. We can win two more games. If we actually play better than we, than we think we did, we could, then they, like you said, 10 or 11 seems achievable. It is just a very brutal division that they're, that they're playing in. So they're going to have to win some really, really tough games. Yeah, of course, the NFL, right? The division is always what's important, even if it's not a tougher as far as where the teams are ranked. But if you're Tom Brady and you're going to get those two matchups against Drew Brees and the Saints, boy, you better you better find you better find a way, you better be splitting those at the worst case scenario. You can't afford to start to get swept by some of those. To touch back on one of the interesting things that I was also thinking about, and maybe this is why I come into the season. Well, I always come in with renewed optimism around the Giants, but. You know, you go back and you take a look at the Dallas Cowboys last year, and maybe this is that that reason why McCarthy could be the coach of a year, coach of the year candidate, because if you can make some of the small adjustments that get you from you know losing close games to winning close games, that can really stretch you know your your record at the end of the season and getting into double digit wins. But I found it really interesting that when you go back and take a look at the idea that and I'll, I'll reference the schedule here. You know, beating the Giants twenty to thirteen, huh? Yeah, I mean that, that's interesting. Interesting to notice that you you you, don't, you want a touchdown game against a team you're supposed to be far superior. Then, uh, likewise, you got not beat up, but twenty four thirteen against Seattle. You narrowly beat the Lions. You fell to the to the Texans. You now you blew out the Jaguars, a bad team. When you start to move through there, Redskins beat you twenty to seventeen. You got beat by two touchdowns against the Tennessee Titans. Um. The, the the real theme here is that Cowboys did not do great against the better teams in the league, and they managed to get some wins against teams that were considered to be bad, and they and they tended to be some close wins over some considered bad teams. And I just wonder, maybe it is the coaching change of Mike McCarthy, or and it's not even that it's the Dallas Cowboys. You can point to a lot of teams around the league that are like this that are the classic underachiever for what they are on paper. And I think that the Cowboys have been that team for a long time now in the league where coming into the season, they're, they're given the favor, you know, their favorite odds to win the division, favorite odds to go to the playoffs. And they always seem to come up short. And for years it was Tony Romo is, you know, was the scapegoat of that. And then it, and now it feels like the organization is trying to scapegoat uh, Dak Prescott about what his value is. Do you think there's anything to that just as far as what the expectations can be coming into the season? Because I have my fears that Mike McCarthy helps write the ship in a lot of ways and pushes that needle for them. But this is why I think maybe the Giants can can make get some surprising wins. It's maybe even off of the Dallas Cowboys and split that season series. I'll give you a prime example. So I have a couple of friends that are diehard Dallas Cowboy fans. And when we talk about expectations, when I started talking about their wide receiver core, uh, you know, we talk about, wow, you know, you guys got a steal in CD Lamb. And he said, yeah, we did, but we had the best wide receiver duo in the league before we got CD Lamb. And I was like, what? And he was like, Michael Gallup is a top seven or eight receiver in the league. And I was like, what are you talking about? Right? Like I looked at him and he's like, he had a thousand yards last year. And I'm like, Okay, like I, I like the expectations of Dallas fans is so high and it's so through the roof that it, it's it's mind boggling to me. Like the Cowboys finish eight and eight consistently every year, even though Amari Cooper goes for a thousand yards, 
Zeke Elliott goes for 1,500 yards. Michael Gallup goes for 1,000 yards. Dak Prescott throws for 30 touchdowns. It's like it, it, They get all the stats and they compile all these different stats, but at the end of the day, like I, I don't know. The expectations are that they should be winning 12 games, 13 games. Like How many more touchdowns would they need to throw? How many more yards would Amari Cooper need to get for them to actually get to 12 and four, 13 and three, like they think they are. I, I just, it, the, the stats to me don't back it up because they would have to like exponentially blow out the numbers that already have them as a top five offense, right? Yeah. It, 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 I mean, that'd be like saying, I, I like Darius Slayton, right? I think that, I think he's going to continue to grow, but I don't look at what he did his rookie year and go, now that's basically a top, you know, top 15, 16 wide receiver in the NFL. And, and by the way, because then you also set that, that bar in your mind. That's like, the that's now the bar. Once you right. say that he could be top fifteen, you're like he is top fifteen, right? So if he ends up being the you know the twenty third ranked receiver in the league, you go, yeah, well that's why underachieving didn't you know didn't get the job done. So uh, you're you're probably right. The expectations that that fan bases start to develop around their teams make it very interesting. You and I did the the, the draft night coverage, and Keith McPherson came on as a Cowboys fan, and he was excited about the draft pick, and I and I, and I get why, but he also, but he made the statement of. Like, you know, Dak Prescott, let's go sign the contract and get in here. Now, he seemed to have, I think, a better, more rounded understanding or perspective on Dak Prescott. I, I know that a lot of this stuff is posturing when it comes to how organizations talk or you know, either side talks about it. But I don't not like Dak Prescott. I think he's a solid quarterback. But I think that they're basically, you know, where the rubber meets the road here, that when Dallas commits the money to him, which they will – I think you're going to find yourself in a couple of seasons. If you're a Dallas fan, I don't know. I'd love to know how the fan base feels about him because I think you're going to be in a couple of years saying, "What? Who did we lose off the offensive line?" Or you know, how did how was our defense weakened by the fact that we end up having this very high cap hit tied into that quarterback? And by the way, if you want to talk about expectations, once you sign that 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 contract, everyone in Dallas, just like anyone would in any team in the league, is going to start to look at Prescott and say. You're a $40 million quarterback now. You're supposed to, you know, hit X. You got to complete X percentage of your passes. You need to have at least a two to one touchdown to interception ratio. You need to win multiple playoff games. You know, all those things start to ratchet up. And it's always interesting just to think about football, unlike a lot of other sports sometimes, is a very team driven game, right? You can't be the number one offense and play defense for your unit. Omari Cooper, Ezekiel Elliott, that Dak Prescott, great. It doesn't mean that it's going to get you to you know the ultimate goal of a deep playoff run necessarily. Let me ask you a, a couple of questions, and this is by no means a Dallas podcast, but yeah. we do play Dallas twice, and they are our rival. And I feel like it's important to to really understand this. I think Dak Prescott is a good quarterback. Do mm-hmm. I think he's an exceptional quarterback? I don't know if I put him in that tier with some of the other guys, you know, the Mahomeses, the Mar Jacksons, you know, the, the ones that are clearly, you know, head and shoulders above everyone right now. Mm-hmm. But when you look at how much money the Cowboys have invested in the offensive line, you look at the wide receivers that they've had, you look at the running back that they've had, you look at their offense in its totality with Jason Garrett, who has been a good coach in terms of coaching an offense. He's shown that he can do it with other people like Tony Romo. If you take Dak Prescott off this team and you sign Jameis Winston for $10 million a year and you say, Jameis, Andy Dalton, one of you guys is going to win the starting job, mm-hmm. compete for it, go for it. You have an embarrassment of rich, riches you know, at your disposal. If you took 
Dak Prescott off of the Cowboys and had Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston there or Cam Newton even. Tell me how many legitimate games you think is the difference between Dak Prescott and any of those three guys I mentioned. Yeah, and that's what's interesting about it, man. It's, you know, I mean, look, Tampa Bay is a great barometer when we talk about Winston, right? You get rid of Winston, you bring in Tom Brady. It's equivalent to two wins, it feels like. And I would make the case right now, just from an acumen and impact and all those things, Tom Brady is a better, you know, better impact player for a, a Team X over Dak Prescott in terms of moving the needle from a wins and loss standpoint. I don't know. And I, I, I think that's the problem that Dallas is faced with right now because unlike, and there's very unique players like this, right? Aaron Rodgers is one of those players. Patrick Mahomes is clearly one of those players, a guy that maybe you think about similarly in some ways, or you think that Dak is similar to him in Russell Wilson, you know, mobile, a little bit smaller quarterback. He, I think has a very quantifiable impact on your wins and losses. I don't know if Dak Prescott is really moving the needle from a wins and loss standpoint. And I think that, you know, that's what you're baiting me into. I'll give you I'll give you another one. So let's not do the subtraction. Let's do the addition side of it. If you were to take Dak Prescott and he becomes a free agent and the Jacksonville Jaguars give him $40 million, how many more games would the Jacksonville Jaguars win with Dak Prescott as their quarterback over Gardner Minshew? Right now, the Jacksonville Jaguars are projected to have five wins. See, that's interesting because I've – I would say that he could that that his impact could maybe get you to seven wins on that team. So it's very interesting because when you bring up Jacksonville Jaguars specifically, I think that his game can impact them a little bit better, maybe. And I actually, if I think about Jacksonville in, in total, I, I probably hedge that back and probably say a, a win. He could probably get you one more win for them. Now, interestingly enough, to your point, and by the way, just to throw this out there, because I'm, I'm not knocking Dak, he has a three-to-one touchdown-to-interception career ratio, 97 up, uh, 36 down. He's completed on his percentages. I want to make sure that I get it right. You know, career, 66% completion percentage. He does a lot of things well and consistent, but uh, so I'll pose it back to you. Take Dak Prescott off of the Dallas Cowboys and insert, I'll ask it, insert Tom Brady. Put Tom Brady on, on the Dallas Cowboys with Amari Cooper and Ezekiel Elliott on that offense. If they're projected for nine wins, how much of an impact is, does that make? 11 wins. I mean, Tom, Tom Brady gives them two extra wins. I, that's what I think. Even though I think Dak Prescott is on the decl- uh, is on the incline of his yes. career. He's obviously younger. He has way more longevity. He can get better. I think Tom Brady has shown he has a, you know, he is – he, he's not going to continue to get better from here. You've seen the best of Tom Brady, mm-hmm. but I just think in that offense, Tom Brady having all of those weapons, he would do unbelievably. And the, the big thing that, that this all comes down to is, do I think Dak Prescott is a top 15 quarterback in the league? Yes, I do. I do believe that. But if I think he's 10th or 11th or some, somewhere around there, if I'm putting $40 million into this guy, after I've already paid my running back as the highest paid running back, my wide receiver as the highest paid wide receiver, as my offensive lineman as top three paid at their positions, like there is not enough money for the other side of the ball. Like at some point they're going to run out of money. And if you, so, so it's, it's a tough thing for the Cowboys. And it just makes me think we have this window with Daniel Jones. He's on this young, this rookie contract, $5 million. We can spend so much money. 
you know, we're going to probably allude into, uh, I don't know if we're, we're necessarily going to dive into it today, but we've been looking at the salary cap ramifications of what the Giants have been doing. We know that the Giants could have over $100 million of cap space, and that's based on not having $40 million sucked into a quarterback. So mm-hmm. it's it's very difficult. Would you rather have 25 able to to put towards the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, and, and you know, as we round it back into the Giants conversation, it's interesting that Dallas, when you make those choices about Amari Cooper, when you make those choices about Ezekiel Elliott, it's not like you don't know what's happening in the background and that Dak Prescott is coming down the line to pay. So you have to kind of preemptively make choices that optically may look bad, not bringing back Amari Cooper, but then, you know, you have the draft and you can replace that asset or Ezekiel, you know, whatever the case may be, and make sure that you're going to allow the cushioning to be able to spend X percentage on the quarterback position when it comes to it. The, for the, from a giant standpoint, capitalizing now is obviously important. I think that if you want to talk about their benefit, and then there is one last thing I want to say just about quarterbacks overall and Dak Prescott specifically, the Giants have to, are kind of in this spot of the controllability of Daniel Jones is important from a salary standpoint. And then also because you have a little bit of time, because you have a few years, and I don't mean about being competitive, but I mean real championship aspirations, I think. The Giants may fall into this nice little window where they're able to re-up Saquon Barkley, have that contract crest, and then start to be coming down off the books as they need to start paying Daniel Jones. Whereas right now, what Dallas finds in a situation is paying max money close to uh, to a running back, to a wide receiver, and now potentially a quarterback. And that's that how, how you start to cripple uh, cripple your franchise. To, to touch on a, a, one last point about Dallas and the quarterbacks, and this is true of a lot of spots, again, if you're going to pay a, a top, let's say, 15 quarterback in Dak Prescott, I'll even put him at you know borderline top 10. He's in that area. But the issue you're seeing is Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying this player is there, but Josh Allen and Sam Darnold and even Daniel Jones. Like the young, the next little younger tier is already starting to rotate into the league. So if you're Dallas now, you're talking about Dak entering his prime, but you're about to see these other things. So, you know, there's two, there's two sides to it. You're already saying, well, we haven't capitalized on your rookie deal to begin with. We already, we already, we already blew that. And you were a fourth round selection, I think. So we already really blew that. Now we're talking about paying you a big chunk of money. You'll benefit from other guys like Lamar Jackson and Patrick Mahomes getting their paydays. So it'll start to probably bring that hit down in terms of of perspective on how much you're investing in it. But the other side of it is you don't know where Dak's going to end up ranking overall. If he's, if he's let's say, the 12th best quarterback in the league right now, in two years, he could end up being the 15th or 16th or 17th just by the sheer fact that younger guys have come in and just, you know, shown up on the scene. Now, some older players like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Drew Brees, they're going to exit. So there'll be this fluctuation. But that, and that's not, again, I'm not harping on Dak as being bad or on, even on the Cowboys. I'm not knocking them organizationally. But it's just the interesting thing. And you have to, you have to find a way because the Giants are going to come up to this and you and I will be on here in a few years talking about Daniel Jones and what's he worth and how do you pay him and how do you balance the books? And the difficult thing of saying, is Daniel Jones, if he's a top, if he's, a, if he's locked into that top seven or eight level, then I think it's very easy to cut that check. And if you've had some success, if you've won some playoff games and maybe had a deep run and didn't quite get there. If you haven't though, and it's just kind of those nice looking stats on paper. It's going to be hard even for me to say, okay, let's commit. Let's commit to a, you know, what would probably be at that point, a $50 million a year contract to a quarterback. 
Yeah, it's it's tough to think about like what percentage can you allocate towards the the quarterback position. You know, there's some you know, and, and secondly, it's more what's the cutoff where you just give the war chest to a quarterback? Is it if you're top five? Is it if you're top half of the league, you have a top half starting quarterback? It's like, would you rather have the 15th best quarterback on a 35 million dollar salary or the 23rd best quarterback on an eight million dollar salary? Like, you really have to balance that, and I think. Once you get out of the top five, six, seven, maybe you can start having that discussion. I mean, look at the Lions. They've had Matt Stafford on on a huge contract for quite a while, and they just can never get over the hump. And he's probably a, in that 10 to 15 range. I kind of have him around where Dak is. It's just – it's tough. At some point, you have to make a really tough call, and I'm waiting for that team to make that – like one of these teams is going to make a tough call on a top 15 quarterback, and they're going to just let him go because they don't want to pay him $40 million. And that's when you're going to see this shift away from – paying for me- mediocrity. Like you saw golf get golf, get re-upped. You're going to see Dak get re-upped. Like if Josh Allen gets paid $40 million a year, like there's no end in sight that if you're a top half quarterback, you make top five money. Well, and this is, it's interesting, man. I, we're going to run a little bit longer than we normally do here, but you bring up a really interesting point because you know, the running back position getting devalued based on longevity and all those things. And we've seen that big shift. And then every once in a while, Ezekiel Elliott pops up and he gets paid. Barkley will most likely end up getting paid. But in some senses, man, outside of the elite of the elite, and I would make a case, right? You talked about percentages. You can you can you can allocate X percentage to who you consider to be your best player. So for the Giants, it may always be Saquon Barkley for at least you know next four or five years, or you know for that next contract, and that's okay. But you have to have that. It's fifteen percent. It's twenty percent of your salary cap, whatever it is, and then everything else is a product of what you have left, and making sure that you bring this balance to it because. It, to your point, man, it, it just at some point, you cannot say that every quarterback when they hit their contract is worth has to be the highest paid because that's how you dig yourself into a hole. And the way that you avoid it being a problem that you do that is exactly the situation that the Kansas City Chiefs will be in. Now, I'll make the case that Patrick Mahomes is going to end up being the best, you know, arguably the best quarterback in the league over the next decade with ease, but you already won a championship. So it's okay to pay the guy and be in pursuit of the next championship and maybe never get there. Your word is good. You've already cashed the check, right? For for Dallas now, you're talking about you didn't do it early, or any of these teams, by the way. You didn't do it early, and then if you didn't do it then, now investing in that big contract is saying, okay, but, but what do we know for sure here? What's the guarantee? And I, I think you're right. There is going to come a push, and I I wonder where the, I wonder who that team would be that you know or the quarterback that may fall victim to it in some way uh you know and it's not going to be a new york team i'll tell you that you know new york franchises aren't going to do it dallas isn't going to do it right the, the, you know the big franchises in the league are never going to make that choice but i wonder what team will finally say you know what we can do we can get a ryan fitzpatrick type and pursue our championship aspirations as opposed to and that ryan fitzpatrick at eight million dollars a year not player x at 50. Yeah. And and I think you said it best. Dallas isn't going to do it. They're going to pay Dak. They're going to figure out a way to get something done. You know, you saw it in Chicago. Mitchell Trubisky was not the the quarterback that they hoped he'd be. He's the first domino to not get his fifth year option picked up at $24 million. They just said that's too rich for our blood. Never mind re-upping him. And I honestly look squarely at Buffalo and Josh Allen. And I say to myself, like, he looks like he could be good. He looks like he could continue to make steps and progress. But like if he ends up being the 15th best quarterback for the next year and a half, two years, like 
are you paying him top five money? Like everyone thinks it's just, that's what the going rate is when you have to like re up a quarterback. But, but to me, it's like, I don't know, $25 million more. And, and like a, a, a guy that may be a slightly less better version of that person, $25 million to shore up your defense or your offensive line is so much money. And to prove my point, just cause I know that we, we are waxing poetic about this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the person that won the Madden football championships over uh, o- over the last oh, couple of weeks, yes, he had a punter as his starting quarterback. He did not throw a pass. The entire tournament won the tournament, and they asked him why, and he said, "I wanted to allocate the money at other positions." And so we're seeing it in Madden. You're going to see it in real life soon. Everyone loves. Everyone loves whenever you use a video game reference for you know for live sporting. They always. They always heed the advice, but again, I think by the way, his the quarterback that he had on that roster who wasn't starting was Eli Manning, uh, <laughs> just because he came at such a low price point. But, but that yeah, you're right though, and I, we'll, we'll get out of here on that. We, we've highlighted the idea that we're going to start diving in. We kind of sniffed around a little bit there in terms of what quarterbacks are making X amount of money and, and what's the return on that value, and then ranking those quarterbacks in that way. Um, but listen, there's a lot of interesting. There's a lot of interesting angles coming into this season. There's a lot of aging quarterbacks that are trying to make that last push. Some in new locations, some in familiar places, like Drew Brees, even like Aaron Rodgers. I think, you know, the the, the clock is now counting down on his time in Green Bay, potentially there. Uh, but as we move through it, the theme, at least from a Giants perspective, is where are where are we on that needle where where is our rising action on this roster where is the falling action and where is some of our money being allocated currently and how can it look for us over not just this season but the next couple of years so this was one of those as you said a little bit poetic man just kind of waxing around some, some thoughts there but i think it's worth doing especially in this off season time you can follow us on social media at one giant podcast download rate review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast needs fulfilled we will be back in later this week talking giants updates and then uh t- tentatively i will say starting next week we will be having the three-part series ranking the qbs comparing our lists price point versus product in return and as you can tell Dak prescott may fall in some murky water depending uh, whether or not that contract has in fact been signed and as andy makowitz would like you to know as always let's go big blue <laughs>